biggest concern really was the welfare of the players and my staff. You know, it wasn't so much my um, my players, but we've got an older gentleman who's our kit man. Just all the support was coming to the game. Like we were away at Notts County just before lockdown happened, and I looked up in the crowd and there's so many older boys still coming out watching and stuff. So that was that was a big worry for me. And and then obviously, look, the frustration is not to finish the season properly. You know, I think we all wanted to play our games out without having to do this points per game system. Um, I was desperate for the playoffs to go ahead for the teams that made it because that was us the year before. You know, if we'd have missed out on not playing it, I'd have been devastated. Yeah, um, yeah. And then it's also really frustrating enough also for the teams down the bottom, you know, that a few teams are going to be relegated now where, who knows, you know, they're, you know, nine, eight games left to go. They might have got themselves out of a bit of trouble. So it's, um, but it's unprecedented this time, you know, I think everyone making the decisions has tried doing the best. And ultimately, when it comes down to this, you've got to keep everyone happy. So it's been really tough. Yeah. Of course, um, what, um, when you sat down with the board last summer, um, what were the main objectives for the season just gone? Um, oh God, look, we, we wanted to try and do as well as we did the year before, you know, make the playoffs again. But um, yeah. I think we were all very aware you know, that we lost some very good players last summer. Paul McCallum, our centre-forward, joined Solian Wars. Um, Mark Yates joined Fylde. Josh Hare and Joey Jones both went into the league for Bristol Rovers and um, Salford, respectively. We lost... Six, seven real good players. Luke Salford on number one goalie. We got a loan from Reading. who done great for us. He ended up going to that in the Scottish Premier League. So we knew it was going to be tough losing them good players trying to replace them. So um, it's just yeah. the nature of the league. You know, if you do really well, you've got boys coming out of contract. It happens for them with the year before. Um, if you miss out on promotion, that was why I was bitterly disappointed when we lost to Salford on pennies. One, because we weren't going to get promoted. But two, I knew that meant we was going to lose quite a lot of our top players because they've done so well for me. So um, it's been a bit of a rebuilding journey this last year, but um, I've learned probably more this last year as manager than I did the year before um, through the adversity and things we've had to deal with along the way. So um, probably underachieved where I wanted to be and where the board wanted to be, but hopefully we'll, we'll kick on this season, hopefully. I mean, uh, obviously you mentioned there, um, being a manager is like a constant learning experience, like uh, you're always kind of um, learning on the job, as it were. And you're still a very, very young manager uh, in, in that respect. Um, you mentioned a few players who left the club last year. Who was the biggest miss, in your opinion, for the squad now? Like, who left last season that then you didn't have this season? And you really felt the, the lack of presence? Uh, well, look, Paul McCallum scored 27 goals for me. Um, yeah. You know, anyone that loses at any level loses someone that scores that amount of goals is going to be a big miss. But Mark Yates had 27 assists. So to, to take both of them out of it was a, it was a huge blow, obviously. Um, but just over the course of the season as well, you know, this season we had Raider Johnson, who in my opinion, on his day, is the best centre-half in the league. We yeah. we missed him for pretty much the whole of last season. He ended up leaving us during the season. So we lost players through the summer, but then we lost players throughout the season. You know, when you lose a, a man that's got you 27 goals, probably your best centre-half and, and your most creative player, all of them going together would be tough for anyone at any level. But listen, that's the job of a manager. You've got to try and find other people to do that and fill them voids and... Um, that's what I'll be looking to do this summer. Excellent. And then, of course, just with uh, just then touching on the season just gone there, 37 games played, 46 points, and then yeah, and you also played a game or two less than your counterparts, such as like Aldershot, Chesterfield, Sutton, who are round about you in the table. Um, you know, does that not frustrate you in a way that you weren't able to kind of play the same games as them and potentially playing the table? Um, maybe a little bit, but if I'm being honest, whether I finished 15th, 16th, 12th, I wouldn't have been happy anyway. So, um, Yes, I wanted to finish the season. I wanted the same as everyone else, you know. But um, the biggest thing for us, we you know, with all the financial stuff, we out of our last thing nine games, or eight games, I think we had left. We had six home games because we had so many games called off. Yeah. And our, mm. our home form was really good throughout the season. So one, it would have been nice to play them six home games in front of our fans, but also the revenue that would have brought in as well. And um, I think we'd have finished a little bit higher up, but who knows? You know, you don't know of anything. And um, also might have had a few injuries, might have had a bad, bit of bad form as well. Um, and there certainly was teams below us, you know, teams like Ebbsfleet and people like that. They was on good runs, you know, trying to get a little run to give to climb up the table. So, who knows where we'd have ended up? It would have been nice to finish it low. Yeah, I think that actually happened to agree with you. I think if you, if the season was then played to a played to a halt um, and played, played to a finish, sorry, uh, I do think I do have to think you'd be higher up the table than uh, what you finished. Um, mm. I actually think your squad's better like, and yourselves are like actually better than what your um, league position suggests. Um, mm. But I mean, I know, I, know, I know Tom's got a few questions regarding your current squad, don't you, Tom? Well, I was going to actually um, talk to you about, Ben, about the signing of Tyrone Barnett. Uh, how key has he been? Someone who's such an experienced football league player and he's been outstanding for you this season. Yeah, look, Ty's, I, I didn't know Ty personally, but um, people I played with, um, I spoke to him about him, he gave him a glowing reference. You know, he, 
in his career, he's gone for a million pounds. And I know he's obviously a bit older now and things like that, but his experience that he brings to the dressing room. And we lost Paul McCallum, who was like our target man, real strong in the air, you know, very good attacking crosses. So um, my aim was to last summer to try and get someone in that could do similar to that, you know, and then um, fit I end up with 12 or 13 goals by the end of the season, still with these games to play. And he missed a few games for injury as well. But um, he was key to the good things that we did last year. And um, I'm hoping this year as well, with him having a full pre-season with us, because he joined up with us a little bit late last year in pre-season. Um, hoping he'll have another big season for us. And he's, um, he's a great character as well. I really like him in the dressing room. He's one of those that the boys really respect. So he was key, obviously, to the good moments we had last year. Another key figure in your squad is um, Andrew Boyce, a centre-back who's just signed uh, a new contract. Um, how much of an influence is he around the, around the dressing room and how key has he been in that defence for you guys moving forward for the upcoming season? Yeah, look, Boyce has been with us a few years now. You know, he's a, he's a Northern Boyce. So, um, so when he first joined the football club, you know, he moved down and stuff like that. But his family's still back up north and things like that. So this summer was key to me, really trying to get him to stay. Not not because he didn't want to stay and play for the football club. It was more, obviously, in terms of his whole life. You know, you know it's, it's a big ask to have these boys so far away from their family. Um, so I was desperate for him to stay. He's been brilliant since I took over as manager. You know, he's been the manager now for probably a year and a half he's just been so consistently good for me you know he um, just gets some of his job I don't have to worry about him on a daily basis I know he's going to be good in training um, and also I found as well there's, there's all different types of characters in me and your group um, a few of the previous managers were boys he would shout at him and have a go at him and it didn't seem to do that good for him I just let him get on with it you know I just trust him if he has a bad game which we all do and all players at our level do it's not through the lack of effort or trying to sometimes you don't have a good game um, he looks after himself. He's good around the dressing room. He's a real funny lad as well. I really likes his character. So he was key. I really wanted him to stay. And um, when I got a call, probably it was a few weeks after the rest of the boys, I weren't sure whether he was going to stay. And I was delighted that he chose to stay with us. And um, he'll be obviously key to a centre-half defence again next season. Uh, Danny Hollands was another player I wanted to touch on as well. A, a huge uh, player in that, mid, that midfield view. How important is it that he stays at the rock of that midfield and... He's one of those players for me that really keeps your really keeps your side ticking and, and going when I watch the Easley games. Yeah, look, Dutchie's our he's our captain. Um he's not a, a shout on hollow or a leader, you know, in terms of that. So we know the the day ones have gone past Roy Keane and said that would be at least by example example. He's very good on the training pitch, always training, even when I'm trying to get him because he's a little bit old now to have a day off, doesn't want to who wants to train every day. Um Chipped in last season unbelievably with double figures, goals from midfield, which not being disrespectful to Dutchie, I didn't really ever expect that from him. I think um, the year before he had got a couple of goals, he obviously scored the key volley away in um, Wrexham in the eliminator game for us in the playoffs last year. And then he just, it was mad. He went on a bit of a run, you know, he got into the box in good areas and scoring, and he was attacking set plays and really become a threat as well for us. So um, he is, he's, look, he's the captain of the group. Um, you know, he's sort of my go between for me and the boys. And, um, got full trust and respect in him and um, he's one of those players I think after he finishes playing whenever he chooses to he's going to go on to be a real good coach and manager if he chooses to go down that path um, but we're yeah, obviously delighted to have him with us. I just want to go down the the younger route um, Sam Smart in uh, the attacking midfield role um, how do you think he's developed uh, with Eastley? Yeah look we signed two young boys last summer as a little bit of a not a gamble but as a little bit of giving them a chance we signed Rob Atkinson Fulham under 23s because my assistant Jason had him at Basingstoke um, and we signed Sam Smart from Basingstoke as well a lot of teams had watched Smarty um, been on trial all different sorts of places but um, just never really got given that opportunity by a, a pro team so um, it was brought in being completely honest for me to be like an impact player you know to bring on late in games because he's so quick and direct playing on the right wing um, but very early in the season I could see that he was ready to play he was ready to you know, really make an impact and um chipped in with some real good assists, some real good moments throughout the season. And because um, he's a young boy with, you know, he's got so much pace and he actually on the run as well, he can cross that pace as well. You know, there's already been a little bit of interest in him as well from other teams. So that doesn't surprise me, the fact that he done so well. Rob Atkinson done well for us as well. We end up selling him to Oxford. So um, sort of going to be a little bit of my recruitment process this summer as well to get in some young local talent and um, give him a chance. Like Smarty didn't with both hands last year and, um, I'm really hoping he kicks on again this season as well. And speaking of young talent, the Eastleigh Academy is really on the up now. That the sides have have won the leagues, and there's a new um, Eastleigh uh, Development Academy, if I'm correct. Uh, that that sounds really exciting. 
yeah, look, we um, without being disrespectful, last five, six years at a football club, you know, as a player, as an experienced player as well, the, the, all the previous managers, they had to win games, they had to get promoted, you know, tomorrow, that was the, that was the remit, that was when uh, Stuart Donald was our chairman, you know, before he left Sunderland, Richard Hill couldn't bring through young players because he needed to win the conference to get promoted and then when he was in the National League, he wanted to come out of that, same for Ronnie Moore and Martin Allen, Chris Todd, people like that, so... Um, I've had the opportunity now to, to, especially with Jason as my assistant, and he's head of the youth development, youth phase as well, to bring some young players through into the group. You know, Tom Bearwish has played a lot of games for us last year. He's going to do great for us this year. He's come through the youth team. Um, ben Scorey and Lewis Bill, I'll give him another year's pro because I can see how well them two are improving. And um, like you said, you know, the, the, the last two years now, both age groups have won their leagues. We've started off a new third year uh, group, but they're going to play in the National Alliance League, so they're going to play against all the other National League academies and stuff like that. And um, we've also had boys that maybe haven't got pros at Forest Green, Bournemouth, Portsmouth, places like that, want to come and join across the Russell Road. And them added to already the young boys that we had there in that third year, they're going to be a real good group. And um, no, they're going to be probably training with our first team group at, at times, you know, and some of them are probably being involved in match day squads, you know, with the size of the group we're going to have next season moving forward, that youth side of it is going to be really important for us. So um, it's credit to the work that we're doing. The youth team's brilliant and I love them. And it's um, something that, you know, hopefully a legacy long after I'm Eastley manager, I hope there's a lot more young in, uh, Eastley boys coming through, local talent, because the fans really like them. Um, I was going to also ask you, do you think Eastleigh be can become one of the best academies in the whole of the National League? Because this vision sounds really exciting. You're talking about a legacy there. Do you think Eastleigh, every young player in sort of the, looking to get, make a name for themselves in the non-league want to go to Eastleigh now? I think a lot of it comes down to the, the, the location of lads. You know, we can only do so much, but we, um, you know, we've got Bournemouth, Portsmouth, um, Southampton near us and we just we've seen that there's especially with some of the boys we brought into our group some lads get let go at 17 to 18 at other places and they've not really got that little in-between gap you know to become established in the first team somewhere locally or something like that so we've started this third year group just to try and give them another year's extra training people develop all different times of their careers you know either in strength or maturity and stuff like that so this third year what we're doing now we're hopefully you know will work well for us and um, I don't think we're going to be nicking players from other national league areas or things like that but I certainly want us to be for boys leaving Southampton or Portsmouth or Bournemouth at a younger age I hope that their first thought is well I want to go and play Greasy and try and get a pathway to playing their first team um, that's got to be what we've got to try to do you know if we, if there's a boy not good enough for Bournemouth or Southampton his next thought should be right I want to go and try and get into Eastleigh's first team to maybe then make it into be a a league player again or something like that. That's what we're trying to do. And um, hopefully with more and more local people seeing that we're giving these young boys a chance and a pathway to play and be professional footballers, I think it will give us a real good chance. That's what we're hoping anyway. It's interesting because um, last week um, we had Stephen Cleveland, the Kingsland town owner, and uh, he was bemoaning the fact that um, he, he quite often loses a lot of young talent to bigger clubs because they can cherry-pick who they want. Um, but he, he used the phrase, the phrase stolen. He, he is accusing the clubs of stealing these players essentially because there's not any kind of compensation packages really that are in, in it structurally in football right now to, to protect these clubs. And what's your kind of general take on like National League um, players being cherry-picked by these top clubs having not really played much football? No, it's just part and parcel of um, what it is. You know, if they're coming through youth teams, you know, we've had, you know, so it's more for us, it's our younger boys, you know, from probably the age of eight up to 16, they're doing really well then they might go off to a Southampton or a Bournemouth or something like that. But, but it's the nature of what it is, you know. They're, they're not going to be under contract. And I think there's a lot more stuff all in now in terms of compensation to try and protect football clubs. You know, we're signing a boy um, who's going to be announced later on who's played for another local team. Well, we've seen uh, that earlier on. We're all so excited to see who it was. <laughs> yeah, but I can't go into it too much because it's going to be out in a little while. But he's played for another team local to us, but he's under the age of 24, you know. We couldn't agree a fee. Um, they wanted a higher amount. We wasn't prepared to pay that, so we're going to go to a tribunal now, and they're going to they're going to get their training compensation. If that wasn't in place, with a great respect, we wouldn't be able to pay anything for the boy, you know. And then that the work that Bogner have done with him for the last couple of years would go out the window. So it's fair, you know, and that's that's what we want as well. If we've got a boy that comes into our first team environment, we've trained him for X amount of years, and he's had training, coaching, education with our football club, then. There is things in place now that protect teams, and um, I think that's the right thing for football clubs. 
Yeah, I think uh, my own personal take on it is, is just the nature of the beast. Again, the pyramid yeah. structure mirrors like the kind of pyramid nature of the transfer market too. Um, it's, it's just going to happen. Like it happens in Scotland too. I'm a big Celtic fan, but I'm also a fan of the National League, and it, it's not too dissimilar, you know. Um, but I mean, I mean in, in terms of it, then how would you sell um, easily as as a, a place to develop for a young player? Given the fact, I mean, how would you describe your own football philosophy? Well, look, it's just it's, it's status in terms of giving them a, a chance to play. You know, there's you can always find, and you know, one of my managers, John Steele, you know, he, he brought a lot of boys, younger boys, into the group, and um, sort of non-league boys as well. There's always things you can find about players playing non-league what they can't do, but there's you know all, a lot of them have got real massive strengths. You know, if I want Sam Smart, my flying winger, to go into a 50-50 tackle or do defensive stuff, he probably wouldn't be the lad for me. But then when I think, all right, what can he do? He's got pace, he can cross, he's attacking. Um, you know, he's he's got areas of his game he's still got to improve. But it's just trying to concentrate on them things. You know, for these younger boys, what they can do, and by playing and playing and playing and getting experience, they're only going to get better. Um, yeah. We played three five two. We're we're going to look at that again this year. We're going to play four, maybe four four two as well. We can different formations and stuff like that. But um, I'm not a long ball manager or anything like that. I think you've got to mix the game up. There's times when you can play and yeah. pass it up in the back, and there's other times when you obviously need to go a little bit more direct to get a bit of space to play football. So um, just giving them a chance, really. But um, listen, I'm not going to have a team full of young players. I'm going to have that experience we spoke about with you know Andrew Boyce and Danny Holland and Tyrone Barnett to help these young players along. Along, you know they. They, they ain't going to have perhaps the legs of these younger boys, but their um, experience and what they can do on the pitch is going to mix in well with the younger boys and um, hopefully you get that balance between the two and um, it works. That's what we're hoping anyway. Yeah, that's quite a clear philosophy, of course. And I, I, You mentioned one of your managers there, um, John Still, and um, I wanted to ask who your kind of main kind of influence was on your, on your current football, football philosophy. You played under Andy Scott at Brentford. Mm-hmm. I mean, who, what kind of was there a manager in your career that you, look, you remember going... I want to be just like that. I want, I want to kind of use what they gave me and apply it to what I'm doing now easily. I think in different areas, I think John Steele and Martin Allen um, were big parts of my footballing career just because of how much I played for them and I played for both of both their managers a couple of times during my career. Um, there was a little bit different in terms of obviously what my way on playing football is, maybe a bit more direct, but I love their team spirit, the way they give younger players a chance. Um, the togetherness they build within groups and um, stuff like that, that was massive. And probably from an actual footballing point of view, Gary Wodica was my manager at Wickham. Um, he, I loved the way we played football at Wickham. That was probably one of my most enjoyable years um, when we got promoted out of League 2 with Wickham just because the way we played football, we um, could pass, pass and pass and at times. We lost games because we probably played too much football. But um, having a manager just telling you to play and enjoy yourself and to express yourself, that was amazing for me. So they're probably in my three throughout my career, you know, taking little bits from each of them um, to try and put that into the way I want to do things, but for different reasons, they're probably the three that stand out for me. We'll touch on Brentford a bit later, because there's a, a few people I want to ask you about, um, but in terms of Martin Allen now, um, that is a man I would not want to owe money to. That man seems really, really scary. Is he as scary as he seems in the media? No, you know what? He's um, He's got two sides to him, honestly. There's that, mm. there's that crazy side of him where, you know, he probably can seem a bit scary and a bit mad. And I've had, you know, moments for that with him where he's been like that with me. But there's a, there's also another side of him that's a real caring side and he really cares about his players. Um, actually wants to know about your family. You know, he's really big on getting um, a group, not just a team, to be there. He does a lot of things where it involves partners and uh, kids and stuff like that. Um so there's, there's two sides to mine, Alan, honestly. There's, if you concentrate on some of the stuff where he's a bit crazy, I think that takes away from, obviously, the other bits that he does. You know, he's, he's an amazing character. And um, look, if he wasn't, at times, as, as mad as some of the stuff he'd done, I truly believe he'd be ma- managing at a real, real high level. I just think sometimes people get a little bit scared by his other antics, which I understand, you know. But um, I think that's part of his character. And um, listen, I, one thing I know about being on mine, Alan, every day was entertaining, wherever it was. Whatever you've done was brilliant, you know, and I had some real good moments from my career and things I look back on with real fond memories as well. Yeah, I think you're not, you're absolutely not wrong there. I remember an article, it's maybe 2000, it's when Spengler and Ericsson was the leading England job and it was confirmed, like, uh, he was doing the World Cup uh, 2016 leading. Um, I noticed that there was a big shortlist run up in the Daily Mail or something. There was Kirby Steve McLaren who, who got the job, Allardyce, but there was a kind of, like, um, dark horse kind of section. And Martin Allen was in that section and uh, I kind of followed his career since then. That guy's in more clubs than Jack Nicholas. Honestly, fair play to him, man. Yeah. Just, he yeah. just loves, loves getting jobs, man. <laughs> yeah, he just, I think he's 
probably not what he wants to be now, but he's known for the guy that if you're in a little bit of trouble, um, he's the guy to turn to. And, um, you know, he, he, was, he was coming at Eastley. It just didn't quite work out for him at Eastley. And even at Chesterfield as well, his last job, you know, it probably didn't work out. But I think there's been a few managers, you know, the last five, six years at Chesterfield for one reason or another that's not quite cracked it there. I think it's a massive football club. So I hope, I don't know. I, I'm really not sure now whether he wants to get back into management. I think he does a lot of media stuff now. You know, he's, he's really good on the radio. I hear him on top four and things like that. So maybe the stresses and strains that get put on you as a manager, maybe that's not for him right now. But if he does, I'll be delighted if he gets back into the manager to whatever he wants to do now, I think. Yeah, and I will say, Martin, if you're listening, mate, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. Please don't come looking for me. So, yeah. <laughs> so, find you, I, I, I know you will. Uh, I've got a bit of distinctive, distinctive accent. So, yeah. So, um, you mentioned there about how Martin Allen was like, to say to him, he's particularly good at managing characters. How do you manage characters in addressing them? It's hard. You've got to try and um, know each different person's um, individual traits. You know, you might shout at one person and that might really work for me, get more out of them. But there's other characters that you shout at and it, um, it goes the other way. You know, they go into their shell a little bit and they don't express themselves. So it's um, just trying to manage personalities. I try to have a good relationship with my older players that they can trust and speak to me and stuff like that and have a sort of a, an older group that I, you know, things I'd turn to up and stuff done and this, that and the other. But, um, I really enjoy watching the younger players play, you know, as well and giving them a chance. And um, I try not to be, when I was a young lad with John Steele, he was very, very strict with us boys, you know, but I look back at that and go, actually, it might be a real good thing for me, but that's not really my character. I try to lead them in by being certain in the right way and if they don't want to do it, then that, listen, that's up to them, you know, I can't make anyone train hard or do their extras or do gym if they need to do it this day and the other but we put the things in place to try and help them and it's up to them then to flourish and do what they want with their careers you know they've got they've got a chance to they get in the team at Eastley and play really well it's been shown over the last couple of years that league clubs have come calling for these boys you know and I want them to get promoted with Eastley up into the football league but if, I, if they don't get promoted with Eastley the next step I want is that they go into make a career for themselves and play in the leagues that's what we try to do Awesome. I think um, the Under the Cosh podcast with John Parkin, who played for Cardiff um, among many other clubs, you know, him, and, him and his team often talk about the kind of lack of characters in modern day football. Now, I think there's a, there is a relationship between the fact that when you broke through at 15, 16, you're given a, you sign your S forms for the club, you sign like, you know, what's now pro youth, I think. Um, uh, you basically, you're asked to do the jobs, you do clean the boots, you clean the stands. Like, was that the same back in your day? It was, but I, I come through a little bit more unconventional route. I was um, I was at Watford till I was like 14, 15, and I got released, believe it or not, I'm like six foot two now, but for not for being big enough, um, crazy. And then I sharped when I was like 16, 17, I ended up growing loads, I went and played non-league, and I went, I signed for Barney when I was 18, straight to become a professional footballer, but um, I found it really weird. So I did have lads that were literally six months a year younger than me, cleaning my boots. I watched them doing jobs and all that, and I missed out and all that luckily yeah. um, but this that, as, as much as some people might go that's what's that got to do anything with football I think it, it gives you a bit of a grounding in terms of um, realising you know there's other things as well you know this is a privilege to be a professional footballer you know you're getting paid to kick a ball around there's also people that have to make ends meet and earn money by doing things like cleaning and you know sweeping stands or things like that you know clearing up because you know that's part of life as well so it's trying to give them a little bit of an eye opener on everything, you know, put everything you can into being a professional footballer because it's not just turn up at training nine, leave at 12 and, oh, this is all easy. No, it's tough as well, you know, you've got to be mentally strong, you've got to be prepared to work hard, you've got to do stuff that you don't want to do, um, like, like everything in life. So I think there's, certainly that's been lost and I think there's a few characters that have gone out of the game because of that, you know, because of the way the system's changed. But also, you know, I understand why people don't want it to be like that anymore. You know, they don't want kids cleaning things and things like that. You know, you've got to see it from both sides. I think some of the stories that used to emanate from dressing rooms back, like the, the youth team dressing rooms back in the day, I would not be allowed today. It's as simple as that. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, yeah, you'd be the subject of an inquiry, I think. But, um, yeah. I mean, but on, on that kind of basis then, like, uh, obviously, your current dressing room is clearly very vibrant, as you say, very youthful. Who's the biggest joker in the dressing room that the, the fans will know of? Or, or, or maybe expect, actually, maybe, maybe expect. <laughs> I, I don't know, to be honest. It's really hard for me now, because if you would ask me two years ago when I was like assistant manager and then going into be a manager, I'd go, right, this one's a joke, between the group, this one and the other. I see what I see of them on a, on a, you know, out on the training pitch and a little bit in the dressing room, but I'm not with them all the time. I think Boyce is quite a, quite a funny character. He seems to be the one always having a laugh and joke, and um, he's certainly a good person to be around when I'm around him on the training pitch as well. 
his um, runs always up to stuff. But the year before we had Joey Jones, uh, mm. who ended up going to Salford, he was he was a, a right character. He was he was tough at the time to manage because he was such a crap character at times. He was just crazy. But um, I like them sort of boys as well. You know, we're we're looking to add a few more characters to our dressing this season because I think. I think if you manage them right and you have them on your side, they can be a real massive help to you. And I think it's good to drive an atmosphere in the changing room. I'm not, I'm not scared by big characters. I think they're, I think they're brilliant for the group. And if you manage them right, I think they're brilliant for you as a manager as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, you don't, don't feel you need to answer this in case you can rat them out. But is it, you got, you got a funny Joy Jones story for the listeners? No, well, listen, he, he, he's, he, to, to not being disrespectful for me, he was an intelligent footballer, but at times not the most intelligent away from football. But I've been trying to. Tell him stuff the whole the whole time during the season, this, that, and the other. And I told him the same half in the playoff game when we played against Wrexham, just to simplify things, this, that, and the other. He had a real good game, and he um, he said to me after the game, he was like, that, "That's the first time I've really listened." And I'm thinking, bloody, hell. <laughs> I've been telling you stuff all season, so it's all great that you're telling me that you listen now. But what does that mean? The rest of the stuff I've told you over the course of the season, you yeah, listen to me. Um, but look, uh, there's other stuff that I've seen. You know, the boys doing this, that, and the other, but. And that's for them to keep in the dressing room. I've seen a few things that I probably wish I hadn't seen over the years. <laughs> Maybe for the best as well. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. Of course, then. So, I mean, obviously, like, you manage a lot of characters. Um, and then going back to your kind of playing days now, I mean, I will, we'll, we'll touch on Eastleigh again. Now, who would you, I'll put you on the spot a little bit here, uh, but who would you say is the best player you ever played with? Um, I think technical ability, um, the Barnet manager now, Darren Curry, when I played him at Barnet, um, I come from like, non league, like the Situ, and um, I remember the first game watching, he um, he took corners with his uh, right foot one side, then the other side he took his left foot, and I was only young at the time. I was like, bloody hell, like, to be able to see him watch do that, you know. Right. He probably in the young part of my career was a massive standout player. And then towards the latter part of my career, I was really fortunate, you know, at Brentford I, I played, and we had Wojciech Chesney on loan yeah. um, from Arsenal at the time. Listen, he's Juventus is number one now, so he weren't bad. <laughs> um, and I think Matt Ritchie come on loan to Dagenham, and you could tell from then, listen, that boy was quality. I, I had so much time for him as well, and I looked after him a little bit. He was only a young lad. I really, really liked him, you know. Um, probably him, Bradley Dack now is doing brilliant at Blackburn. You could tell he had massive talent as well, a young boy coming through at Gillingham when I was with him. Um, so they'd be the four standout over different stages of my career, you know, that I played with. Yeah, of course, I mean, you, you mentioned Matt Ritchie there. I mean, he's a Scottish international now. He scored an absolute screamer against Poland and Germany. Um, but, I mean, he, he started at Gosport Borough, you know? Like, um, he, yeah. he's a, he, then he went to Portsmouth Academy. Then he, he took a bit of a hit, then went to Swindon, then uh, they went to Bournemouth, and his career just, just totally shot up from Bournemouth. And I think I was going yeah. to the management of Eddie Howe. But, I mean, it, it shows you the National League is a breeding ground for good, good players. It's not the only player that's made it. Tyrone Mings, Jimmy Barbie, there's plenty of them. Oh, look, there's, there's, there's lots and lots of talented boys playing in non-league. It's just sometimes it's opportunities that they need to be given and some get given and for one reason or another don't. Some, without being bad, it's, it's nothing to do with their technical ability. Maybe it's to do with attitude or wanting to work hard. This and the other. There's all different reasons for boys not making it, but there's enough good players playing non-league football um, to make real good careers for himself. And like you touched on there, you know, the two standout ones for me are Ian Wright coming into the, the, the game very late and, and yeah. being an unbelievable on Arsenal fan, you know, the goal-scoring record he's got. And then obviously Jamie Vardy, who come from nowhere. I remember playing against Fleetwood for Wickham when Fleetwood were a national league team. Wickham was League One and they knocked us out of the FA Cup and he was up front by himself. And he, I remember thinking after the game, I don't know who that lad is, but he's bloody good. Did I think he was going to go on and score 100 Premier League goals and play for England? No, but you could tell he was an exceptional talent then, even then. So, um, there's, there's brilliant players playing, trust me, outside of the Football League, but Aye. some but it might be other reasons why they're not in the league and some are just needing opportunities and if they get it, they'll, they'll grasp with both hands, I know that. Was Vardy just frightening? Aye. Yeah, look, he's got that natural pace that scares any team, but I think the one good thing about Vardy, and he ain't changed now, he's into his 30s, is the way how hard he works. There's very few um, forwards that work as hard as him putting centre-halves under pressure when they've got the ball and stuff like that the way he presses the way he tackles back just got that the one thing I, I noticed and this is me coming from a non-league as well you, you've, got that, you've got to work hard playing in non-league football from a young age because if you don't do it you get told by these experienced boys that you're not doing it so um, I think someone like Vardy that willingness to win to work hard for the team to go with the talent he's got and the way he can finish is um, why he's obviously done so well for himself yeah, I think Robbie Keane actually made that point, uh, that very point uh, on the Graham Hunter podcast, and uh, he said the one word describes Darby is Darby and Vardy desperate. He just needs oh, yeah. to get there because he's he's also always had to make even financially like the next step. He worked in a factory, 
Um, yeah. And what's often overlooked, he entered the Premier League at age 27. You know, I'm 27 now and I can never imagine I work in a marketing job. So, like, um, I mean, it shows yeah. it's, never, it's never quite too late, you know. Um, Thomas, no, I mean, a, yeah. And it's, it's like you said now, you know, imagine you striving your whole life to get into the, the Football League or into the Premiership. The one thing you know, when you get there at the age of 27, 28, you're going to grasp with both fans and you're going to give everything. And I think that shows even whether he's getting now into his 30s. Watched him against Arsenal the other night. He was chasing full-backs down. Yeah. It's just the way he works. And like you're saying, he's, he's fought for everything where he's got to and he's, and he's not satisfied. You know, he wants to do better. And then that's brilliant. But that's his non-league mentality. You know, he wouldn't have got our working in the factory and paying for, you know, a, a local team to get to where he has if he didn't have that drive in it. Of course, I. Tom, 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 what's your kind of thoughts on the kind of National League being a breeding ground for like really supreme talent? Yeah, I, I think what and what's the great what's the great thing that EC looking to do is that if there's a fresh batch of young players c- coming through, that I, I I honestly think the the team spirit and the humility is is sometimes I, I think actually quite a lot of the time better in the National League once you got the divisions that. You start to get more egos, and I, I think, and I think you learn a lot in the National League as well. Uh, in in terms of, you know, having some, you know, a lot of players have to have a, a job at the same time, and I think, I think uh, you get more of a connection to the fans as well. There's so so much benefits of of having such a, a it's been so grounded in when you when you play in the in the non-league. So I I think that's why. Like for example, like when I hear Tyron Mings having in having into you, you can just tell he's he's come through. He's he's had a, like a, a proper upbringing in in non league football, for example. And yeah, I, I and with with you know if you can have young players come through great academies in the non league, they're going to get into teams more constantly, and I, I think could be real really beneficial. And hopefully, you'll you'll see more players come from the non league and and develop through the football league and. Maybe one day he gets the Premier League. It, it'd be it'd be great to see. Yeah, I mean Ben knows up only too well. Uh, Thomas is going to excite you. So I was doing a bit of reading on uh, Ben today, and I didn't realise you played with Carl Court. Yeah, yeah, Brentford. Yeah, Court was at Brentford. Yeah. Oh, well, Tom's a big uh, Jordy, so uh, <laughs> you'll yeah. be more interested to hear about him. What was he like? He was he not a big gangly fella, a really good striker. Though. Yeah, you know what it was when it was really strange when I um, signed for Brentford. I I'd been at Dagenham Rugby the year before, and um, I'd done my ankle probably two games before the end of the season. So when I went for my medical, I fouled it to begin with. And then they said, go away, come back. So I did my medical again. The last, it was probably my ankle, but my last pre-season game for Brentford, I broke my ankle. So I was out for the start of the season. But that not leading into that, the Monday I went in after the Saturday and we signed Cole Court and I thought, oh my God, no <laughs> one broke my ankle. But we just signed a Premier League centre forward a few years ago that went for X amount of money. Like when I do get to it, how am I going to get in the team ahead of him? Um, yeah. He was he was honestly he was brilliant. He had real, he was at the back end of his career, he had problems with his knees, but um, listen, he was much, much better than me. You could tell he had played at a higher level, you know, even when I was playing ahead of him in some games when I got myself back fit. I used to be thinking, how am I playing ahead of Courtney, you know? And it was just literally because he had that problem with his knee. The ball went up, you know, a forward like me would jump up and try and flick it on. He had this real good ability to jump up, chest it, bring it down and bring other people into the game and stuff like that. And it was a real good... You wouldn't think he'd played in the Premiership either or going for £7 million, whatever he went for. He was a real humble, great guy, you know? And um, yeah, I was lucky I played a year with him at Brentford. Um, I think he ended up staying there a couple of years. But um, yeah, he was, was a great guy and a good player as well. Yeah, I mean, I talk, talk of rubbing salt in the wound, you get an injury, then he signs, man. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. Imagine that on a Monday, I was like, oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would make the listeners laugh, I know, for a fact. Yeah. Just, just a final point on Brentford from, from my side, anyway. Um, could you tell back then that Wojciech Chesney was going to go on and be Juventus' number one? Was he, like, I don't know, as acrobatic as he is now? Yeah, look, he, um, listen, he was a bit of a different character, Wojciech, but um, the one thing about him, he had this air about him and the confidence that you knew was a good goalie from the moment he came in I think we finished 10th or 11th that season at Brentford and it's not being disrespectful to me or any of the rest of the boys that we had within that group I would say he probably got us up at least three four maybe five places higher in the league just because of his performances so many games he, he kept us in the games and we end up winning on one nil and things like that but he just he had a confidence about him even then you know playing for Brentford we had a league one season on like from Arsenal at the time and um, Fabianski was number one at Arsenal and I think he was number one for Poland at the time and yeah. even then playing for League One Brentford he was like I'm better than Fabianski so basically I should be Arsenal number one and Poland number one we all laughed like laughing he's like no I'm dead serious I'm better than him and we were just like oh, right then. 
to be fair, and he's gone on and proved it. He? He's played, he got in the Arsenal team, you know. Now he's Juventus number one. He's played for Roma, wherever it's been, and uh, he was brilliant. Crazy character. Most goalkeepers are crazy. Um, you know, Polish lad did as well. So he was a, a little bit different. I've come across a couple of Polish lads now. They just got a mad temperament about him, but brilliant to be around. And um, listen, he was he was he was class. He was brilliant. And um, yeah, now he's Juventus number one. So he's, he's done a lot for himself. Thanks. That was that time where Celtic had Arthur Boric, who's now at Bournemouth. Um, he was at Poland's like they were kind of vying for the same position, and uh, so I love those kind of big time shouts, man. That's, but I think that yeah. guy, the confidence does, does separate you from like the kind of rest of the goalies, man. Like you say, goalies need to be a bit kind of a bit more maverick than the rest of them, you know, because they're, they're just if, you, if you're a goalie for a good team, you're bored, aren't you? You've nothing to do. Yeah, and, and listen, you've got to have that self confidence in yourself because we both know that if, if a goal, if a forward misses a chance, yes, they're going to say, Oh, you missed a chance. If a goalie makes a mistake, it's a goal. Skin, you've got to be confident in your ability, and then he was from a young age, and he was young when he came to Perth, but he had that self confidence, he didn't care, and I think that separates them boys. Then their mentality, the elite level players, and they've got that much confidence in themselves. And um, yeah, it, you can't teach that thing, I think it's just you should walk up with it, or you, you have it in you, I think, and that's what he had. Yeah, and those are excellent points. And just, I just kind of want to go back to your time at Eastley now, and uh, obviously, um, you're very, very well respected manager, well loved by the fans. Um, I wanted to kind of ask about your kind of um, so obviously everyone's seen Son until I die, and Stuart Donald's obviously kind of projected himself into the, the British stratosphere really has, and um, um, he divides opinion for his role in the show. What was your relationship like with him? Was it was it good? Did you have much contact with him? Oh. Yeah, look, great relationship. When um, when I first joined Eastley, he was chairman, and we was in the National South, you know, before we got promoted up to the National. But I'd never really had a relationship with any of my chairmen over my time as being a player you know you always see him say hello Mr Chairman very respectful to him because you knew they was the owners of the football club but not really a personal one-to-one level um, when I went to Eastleigh that completely changed Stu used to come and have uh, breakfast with us sit have lunch with us go to away games he'd be w- w- in with the fans cheering and you know shouting at us and this that and the other part and um, listen he, he, the guy that you see on that Sunderland until I die you know in terms of what happened with the Wilfrid transfer and all he wants to, all he honestly, yeah. all he wants to do is for a manager, and that time it must be quite hard. And he wants to help, and he wants to give you the tools to do your yeah. job the best. He doesn't understand that that manager, you know, Jack Ross at the time, maybe didn't want real group for that amount of money because of the pressure he was going to put on him and the player. How it was going to impact the changing room in terms of the wages or the transfer fee, or maybe had another forward that then wouldn't be playing. Um, student and realise that side of it and it's nothing to do with him he just cares and he wants to help you and he wants to give you the best tool to, to win football matches ultimately and um, look, I know he's getting a little bit of stick I'm well aware of the stick he's getting off the Sunderland fans but um, they're so passionate and so desperate for success and they're in League One you know no one wants to be in League One but um, I know how hard he'll be working to try and get things there and um, without being bad I can't go into it too much I know how much of a state that football club was in two yeah. years ago when he went into there and all he's tried to do is stabilise it and make it more run a lot more cost-effective. If he'd have been promoted, I went to the Wembley game. They lost last minute of the game against Cholman. You know, if he'd have won yeah. that game and they was up in the championship now, maybe he looks a little bit different from the Sunderland fans. But um, it's not through the lack of effort or caring. I know that on on his behalf. Yeah, and just two things on it. I think I actually agree with you. I think you're watching that. You could see how impassioned he was week week after week. Um, I mean, it was in the the way end at Fratton Park on like a Tuesday night. You know, but with the fans and it's. Pissing down the rain, you know. And then, um, oh. I mean, I mean, Celtic, Celtic's chairman would not do that, for example. Peter Laurel would never do that with Celtic, you know. Yeah. And, and someone's a big club, that's the thing. And then um, to really engage with the fans that way. And what I will say as well, and I say this very facetiously, what chance he got when Martin Bain, ex CEO, spending 100 grand on a cryotherapy chamber <laughs> for himself? You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, you get no chance if that's your kind of previous business model, man. Yeah, well, look, when he, we, we got called in, Andy Hess and Tyler was in the manager at the time, I was assistant manager. Uh, I think our goalkeeping, goalkeeping coach, our head of recruitment, we got called in to have the meeting with Stu and he told us he was going up to Sunderland. And then um, I can't get into it too much, but some of the numbers and some of the stuff that were being paid out for things like we just talked about there or other bits and pieces going on at the football club. The other owner, Ellie Short, was based over in America. Basically, people just took a little bit of the mick, I think, um, without knowing too much about it. They just... It was a bit of a free reign, you know, if you wanted to spend this on that, yes, you just went out and spent it and there was no one really there going, well, why are you spending it on that? So he had to go in and sort out all sorts of problems, honestly, I know that from his part. Ultimately, with football and fans, you know, I'm a fan myself, all you care about is what happens on the pitch. They won't care about what he's done behind the scenes. They want that team back up in the championship, back up the 
Premiership where Sunderland belongs because the fan base and the infrastructure behind that football club is massive. Um, but I know how hard he's trying to do it. Is he, is he going to do it? I don't know. You know, no, no one's got any given right to win leagues or get promoted. Um, I know he's, know he's putting every effort into it and he'll be as gutted as anyone, trust me, that they're not doing it at the moment. I think, yeah, like I say, I mean, Martin Bain actually played a central role in the liquidating Rangers in 2012, so I mean, he's, he's got previous for this. So anyway, um, we're just going to move on from the kind of Sunderland and Eastleigh point. Uh, sorry, moving back to Eastleigh, uh, apologies. Um, now, how would you describe Eastleigh in three words? Um, family, uh, probably progression as well would be a massive thing for me, how much we progressed in such a short amount of time. And then... Um, a little bit different, to be honest, just because of the way, you, you know, we just spoke about Stuart Donald there, but the chairman, the owners of the football club now, um, Tom Coffey was, when I first went to Eastleigh, he was a, a young goalkeeper, younger than me, and now he's like one of the owners. And Kenny Amore, who's a massive, massive Sunderland fan, um, he's the chairman as well now. So they they sort of, you know, when Stuart was leaving, it was like, we either sells in, it goes off to someone that maybe don't care as much about the place and the other, or where it was taken over by people that did care about the football club and trying to carry on what the work that Stu did, you know, so we are a little bit different. And then I'm really lucky that I've got them two people as much chairman. There's other people on the board as well that I'm not mentioning, but it's just a little bit different to the normal. Um, yeah. I say about the progression, I just, I look at the stadium now, we're talking about youth teams, we're talking about all the stuff that's gone on. You know, when I first went to Eastie about six years ago now, it was a National League South team. None of the infrastructure was the same as anyone else's or anything like that. We've had to work so hard. Just, all that was all Stuart Donald's efforts and money that he put into it to try and build up the ground. Um, you know, this youth team has set off now and Kenny and I have carried that on now as well. And obviously, I've talked about the family atmosphere because all the older boys and all the family people that still do so much stuff that they've done for years and years at that club. You know, my kit man is an old boy that don't get paid. You know, he looks after the ground. There's people who are doing odd jobs all the time around there, you know, don't get paid anything like that. So that's the family base of it. So they're probably the big three runs, how much we progressed the family and being a little bit different, I hope. Yeah. I mean, obviously, geographically, you're very close to Southampton. You're not a million miles away from Portsmouth and Haven and like Gosport, these kind of teams. How do you find the youth academy is suffocated by these kind of teams being around you, especially Southampton and Portsmouth, who could like gazump you with a, a youth player with an offer? You just simply can't operate in that kind of market, you know, you can't compete with that. How do you find that suffocates you? I'd, look, that's just the nature of nature of football. You know, it's the same for any any teams. You know, it's surrounded by. You know, it's as hard for the, the London teams. You know, when you've got all these London Premiership teams that can take the top talent, this, that, and the other. We just all all we've done is we've done something a little bit different. Where we, if if boys are not quite good enough to make it in these big Premiership teams, because without being bad, you know, there's not going to be many boys brought up in and around the area that want to play for Eastleigh rather than play for Southampton or you know, Bournemouth or a team like that. So we've just got a there's always going to be boys that are not good enough to maybe play in the Premiership, but that doesn't mean that they're not good enough to one day play in the Premiership or good enough to be professional footballers, you know. They're Premier League, you know, they're elite athletes, either, you know, very talented players or, you know, strong, quick, all these different things. But there's a lot of boys that maybe are not good enough for Bournemouth, but are good enough to play for Eastleigh or play for a League One team or a League Two team. So we're just trying to aim for that market, you know. Can't compete with them boys, we never would be able to, but hopefully that the young boys you see there's a pathway in, and choose to join our academies. Yeah. I remember watching a video of uh, Harry Redknapp on YouTube and it was like he was like like candidly describing like players he'd missed out on and like uh, like really who then gone to rip it up in the Champions League and all that. Uh, is there any players on that on the kind of National League level you've like scouted, maybe thought they weren't quite up to the task and then they've got just gone and ripped it up in the National League? Probably last summer if I'm being um, completely honest, I under hard over going for the boy Tishimanga that's scored all sorts of goals for Bromwood now, you know. Um, it was only because I was looking for more of a target man type. Um, I ended up not not going for him or really pushing it this and the other. I'd watched him. I went to watch a boy play for Maidenhead in the FA Trophy game in centre-half. He was on loan for Bristol Rovers and he scored two that night. And I thought, God, this, this lad's right. I didn't know too much about him, to be fair. Um, mm. And then come to the summer, for one reason or another, I didn't do it. I don't know why. I look back on the group right now. He's done really well, you know, and I think... Bourne would have got a chance of going up through the, the playoffs um, this year, but if they don't, they might struggle to hold on to him. You know, the lad that scored the amount of goals he did at National uh, North and now come up to the National League has scored, I'm sure there's a lot of interest around him, but this, I'm sure there's loads of managers and there's lots of players where you look at it and you go, maybe you could have took a chance to them. You just sometimes you don't fit in with the recruitment you need at the time. Like I'm saying, I needed a target man. If I needed a quick, smaller forward, maybe I would have pushed it and gone for it. But, um, 
that's just off the top of my head. I'm sure there's a few others that I've thought about last summer not signed and done well. And even with helping at Hess the year before in the terms of recruitment, I'm sure there was a couple that we wish we'd have gone for and we didn't quite do it. Uh, ben, I was just going to. Sorry, go on, sorry. I, Ben, I was just going to ask you. Um, just for the upcoming playoffs, um, what did you think of the promote two uh campaign, and do uh, do you think that the it, it's fine, all fine for the playoffs to go ahead? How do you think the National League handled it all? Uh, how did the National League handle it? It took a while, didn't it? Um, I'm not sure whether if it wasn't through you know teams like Haven and other teams pushing it so hard, whether they would have started to. I think the, the easy thing to do was to just to do the one-up from both leagues because then it didn't really impact on the relegations going out of the National League. Um, as harsh as it's going to be now on Fylde and Ebsley, I, I believe that the teams in the playoffs from the National South and the National North des- um, um, deserve to have them promotion places to fight for. Um, and I also think that it was fair that the teams in and around the playoff picture in our league got, got the chance to try and go up into League 2. Now, if League 2 would have said they're not relegating anyone down and they weren't that extra place for promotion out of our league, I'd have been gutted for them to be back at the top. So I think ultimately it took a while to get there and I don't know how we end up getting there, but the right decisions being made. You know, there, there deserves to be two teams coming up from the south, two coming up from the north, and there deserves to be two coming up through the national league to go into the football league. I just... I do feel for a few of the teams that may go out of the National League now down into the other leagues because they might have had a good chance getting out of it. Uh, who do you tip for the playoffs as well? So it's going to be very competitive. Tip? Oh, I don't know. Look, I want I want Barnett to get promoted just because Darren Curry looked after me loads when I first went into Barnett. I've played for Barnett for obviously eight, eight years. You know, he's a... He's someone I've got a lot of time with. You know, there's people in your phone book, there's other managers that you can message and this, that, and the other. He's probably a friend as well as a, another football manager. So I don't know who's going to win it. Honestly, it comes down to be a lottery. I think Harrogate and Notts County have got good opportunities because obviously the games are going to be, they're not going to have to play two games. They're going to be the home fixtures, especially Harrogate on their AstroTurf pitch. Um, so they've got good chances. But um, look, I hope Barnett do it, not, not being disrespectful to the other teams, just because obviously I pay for Barnett and obviously I like Darren Curry so much. That's who I want to grow up. Did you come across Edgar? Edgar Gavitt at Barnet, no? No, he was after me. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I know plenty of people that played with him. Let's just say he was a bit of a character, yeah. Uh, cause, uh, I spoke to Craig, you know Craig Beatty, that played up front for Barnet for like, maybe yeah. about a couple of games. Uh, he was on uh, yeah. Open Goals podcast and he just came across like an absolute bell to be honest, man. Just like the things yeah. he was saying, things he was like treating, like, treating fans, like talking to fans in like, a very kind of condescending way, man. Like, uh, he didn't yeah. listen to my, like, my cup of tea. <laughs> Yeah, that's I don't listen. There's always two sides to every story, but from the people that I spoke to as well, one say that he was the most humble of guys, and um, you know, at a lower levels, and it's not just the national league and the, the leagues below. You know, even the league one or two team, I think you've got that humility about you and be nice to people. Don't take any time to be nice to fans, you know, and speak to them this that, and the other. I know he played at a very good level, but they don't make him any better person than anyone else. So, um, but look, I didn't personally come across him, but I've probably heard the similar things that you got told. I can, I can almost guarantee you're a better manager even at this rate. So <laughs> you're doing a decent <laughs> job, you're <laughs> <up in. laughs> So yeah. So we're just kind of winding down the, uh, the interview and it's been absolutely great to chat to you and get an insight into the mind of Ben Strebin. So like, um, I just kind of wanted to touch on, like, I don't know, like, what kind of message would you have for the Eastleigh fans for next season and where do you think Eastleigh can finish? No, I'm going to try and finish as high as I can. I'm, um, I'm with them, you know, and it's... Um... Because I've been there a while, this and like I told you, I'm not, I'm not from East or anything like that, but I do have a real you know, connection with the, the club now and the fans. And um, they were frustrated last year, you know, because we've done so well the year before, you know, just just missing out on going and getting promotion up into the football league. I think there was an expectation that we was going to be the same again last year. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the year that we wanted, but um, it wasn't through lack of hard work. And you know, like like any manager, I probably made a few mistakes along the t- along the line last year. You know, things that I'll hopefully learn from and not repeat this year. Um, we're encouraged by what we're doing this pre um, summer with our recruitment. Um, it's gonna, it was always going to be a little bit different. It's going to be different for everyone up and down the country coming out of this COVID and stuff, you know, with financial stuff. But um, our, our aim this summer was to try and get a few more younger boys in, a few more um, local talented boys that they could really buy into. And that would have been going on regardless of what my budget was going to be, this, that and the other. So we're recruiting how we want to recruit this summer. Is it going to be a tough league next year? It definitely is. You know, it's um, probably going to start a little bit later. So we're maybe condensed with games maybe next year but um, I can't wait for it to come back and I'm, I'm sure I'm like you guys and all these fans and I just can't wait to 
be back in a stadium where I'm watching the boys play and people there cheering and seeing them familiar faces. You know, I've really missed it these last four months. Uh, just a final question from me. Um, Tommy, I have another one. The, the, the final question from me is um, now you've seen the, the kind of managers such as Ian Everett, such as um, I don't know, like you've got Danny Cowley, who's at Lincoln City, then he got promoted by Lincoln City, now he's at Huddersfield. Um, they've made the transition quite successfully from the National League Football League. Where do you see yourself in terms of your own career in five years' time? God, who knows? I really don't know. You know, I'm only a, I'm a young manager, and, and um, I'm the, I want to do well. I really want to do well, but I, I'm not going to be defined by being a football manager. If it doesn't quite work out for me, usually, and this isn't what I'm supposed to do, but then, you know, a few years ago, I got myself well educated. I went to back to university so that maybe I could become a PE teacher, something like that. But like with anything, you know, when I was a player, I wanted to try and get as high up as I could. I made it, made it to League One. Do I think I could have done any better than that? Probably not. I think with my talent, I had it quite well. Um, I'm the same with football managing. You know, I want to do as well as I can. My my immediate aim, and it always has been, just because I've been at East a few years now, and, and I was lucky, I was at Dagenham when we did it, to become the manager that gets the team into the Football League for the first time is something that it's always going to be remembered for. So my aim, whether it takes me one year or five years, is to get Eastley into the Football League. After that, who knows? Listen, I want to become Arsenal manager and England manager. Is that going to happen? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but look at Danny Cowley, look at um, Chris Wilder. You know, Chris Wilder was Halifax manager and I was playing against him for Barnet. Now he's Sheffield United manager above Arsenal in the league, you know, sixth, seventh in the Premier League. So Danny Cowley, like you said, you know, Huddersfield manager, their next step probably, hopefully for them, will be to become Premier League managers. So the pathway's there. Same there is for football, for players to go as high as you can. If you put the work in, you need a little bit of luck along the way, but um, I'd like to become as high as manager as I can. But if I don't, then it ain't meant to be, and I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do in the rest of my life to be happy, really. Well, you know what, Ben? If it ever doesn't work out and you don't become an Arsenal manager, don't become an England manager, and you find, find yourself out of football, you've always got home on this podcast. That's so, right, um, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're, we're yet to get monetised, but hopefully that's going to come down the road. Um, so, yeah, like I said, Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, the team here are not it's been absolutely great to chat to you um, for, for what's been about an hour or so. I'm sure the Eastleigh fans uh, have a very, very succinct message uh, from this podcast as to what your aims are and what your plans are for the club. So, Ben, on behalf of Tom and myself, thank you very, very much. No, Tom, great. Thanks for having me on. It's been an enjoyable hour. Thank you very much, boys. Thank you very Brilliant much. Stuff. And uh, if you want to know or we'll ask any questions of us, uh, you're more than welcome to follow us at, on Twitter at NT92Pod and on Instagram at NT92Pod or alternatively, email at podcast at notthe92.com. So, thank you, everyone. That was a fascinating interview with the man himself, Ben Strevens. We certainly do wish Eastleigh all the very best for next season. Thank you for listening. Good night.